Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Melvin, and working from home gets tiresome. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, I'll be joined again by Caleb Young of the Polymath Roundtable, and the two of us will be discussing John Favreau's divisive sequel, Iron Man 2. As we work our way through reviewing Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I couldn't help but bring back Caleb to talk about Iron Man 2, which at the time was the highly anticipated sequel to 2008's total breakout film. Caleb hails from the Polymath Roundtable, a semi-weekly Christian podcast that produces bite-sized reviews and topical discussions on all sorts of media. Some episodes he is talking about movies, others he's discussing books, and at other times he's looking at video games. Its well-rounded and often balanced pursuit makes for easy listening on your daily drive or when you need some good old Christian thoughts on all kinds of topics. And with Caleb's return, we eagerly look forward to talking about the divisive Iron Man 2. Right off the bat, we start talking about how our thoughts on the film don't seem to be the same as everyone else's. In fact, we both really enjoyed Iron Man 2. And this led to a great discussion on enjoying something that's not only divisive, but has a difficult history, as those who followed the production of Iron Man 2 may recall. The Lord really kept us on that topic as we questioned the value of using products that come from a problematic history, or engaging media produced by people whose sin have been made public. It may sound like we get a bit off track, but I implore you to keep listening, because I think it's the kind of discussion we should be having. Looking at the history of the media we watch is as important as the media we watch. Anyways, if you have no idea what Iron Man 2 is about, don't fret. I've got you covered. Here's a quick synopsis I've adapted from IMDb. With the world now aware of his dual life as the armored superhero Iron Man, billionaire inventor Tony Stark faces pressure from the government, the press, and the public to share his technology with the military. Unwilling to let go of his invention, Stark, along with Pepper Potts and James Rhodes at his side, must forge new alliances and confront powerful enemies all while Tony Stark recovers from an infection that's caused by the very thing that's keeping him alive. Iron Man 2 is rated PG-13 for sequences of intense sci-fi action and violence, and some language. The intense sci-fi action relates to scenes of big, bulking suits of flying iron beating the tar out of one another, as well as the occasional mayhem. There's plenty of weaponry getting fired all around, so that's something to be aware of. There's also a frightening sequence in the beginning of the film where a bunch of second-rate Iron Man suits constructed by a competitor are shown to be malfunctioning. This sequence has some frightening suggestive visuals that I recall being a bit frightened of when I was a kid, so I feel like I should mention that. The language is a mixture of what's said and what's suggested. There are some words that are also censored, such as the F-word. This film has a fair amount of swearing, as well as a play on words at the very end that may be bothersome. And I'll say I'm probably not the only one surprised that the certificate doesn't have anything regarding suggestive imagery, because man, these Iron Man movies can get pretty raunchy. There are also some off-color and suggestive jokes that are quite offensive to most sensibilities, some of which are delivered by Tony Stark. 
there are also brief segments of a character in their underwear, one of which is rather egregious, while the other one is in a car. They're both played off for laughs, and it's just the strangest, most unexpected thing, despite Tony's Playboy-style character. It's weird. Now, before we head into our Iron Man 2 discussion, I wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way is to leave your thoughts on the podcast with a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you're listening. Apart from that, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a website for independent content creators to raise support for their work. By creating an account on Patreon, you can select a content creator you like and support them with a monthly donation. If you enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, consider donating, as it helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. And as a bonus, if you support Cinematic Doctrine for as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once a month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. You also gain access to the Sindoc pre-show, the upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check them out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. And of course, you can also listen to Caleb Young's wonderful podcast, The Polymath Roundtable, on your favorite podcast app. Listen to Father Polymath as he looks at all kinds of media from movies, books, and video games through a Christian lens and really gets down to the brass tacks of what you're engaging all in a bite-sized runtime. Without further ado, here's our thoughts on Iron Man 2. Caleb, that Iron Man episode was so good, I couldn't help to have you back. So what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I, you know, honestly, I can't wait to be able to talk about this because honestly, this is maybe my second favorite MCU movie just flat out. That's awesome because, yeah, I had a good time with it, too, rewatching it, which just thinking about like the history of this film and like how people have responded to it, like especially even now looking at it retrospectively. It's it. This is going to be a very interesting episode, I feel like. But before we get started, Caleb, why don't you tell everybody about your podcast? Well, I I run the Polymath Roundtable, a semi-weekly media review podcast. I talk about everything from books to movies to video games to TV shows, both modern and old. And I try to do it all from a Christian perspective. I'm not looking to dive into the nitty gritty, you know, uh, here, let's spend 30 minutes discussing about exact meaning of this you know, phrase or something. I want to give you the, the tools to sit down and say, okay, this movie has a message for me. What is it trying to tell me both on the surface? What's the story? But also, what is the underlying message that maybe it's not explicitly told, but it is still being shown? And oftentimes, it's a little more <laughs> subtle. And <laughs> in many ways, insidious. So uh, it's all available online everywhere podcasts are available. Uh, the Polymath Roundtable on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, all that, as well as my own website, uh, polymathroundtable.com. I'm also, uh, you can also find me on Podchaser or on Facebook as the Polymath Roundtable. Yeah, and if, you, if you're coming in after listening to our Iron Man episode, we were talking about how, like, like he says, it's like they're quick, bite-sized things you need to know or things you should think about if you are going to engage certain forms of media. And I've mentioned in the uh, Iron Man episode that I really enjoyed the Witcher discussion as well, so go ahead and check that out. 
I actually just launched a brand new series actually today, uh, the day we're recording this episode, uh, talking about retro movies from my childhood and before. You know, a lot of movie reviews, yeah, you can always find somebody to talk about the latest thing in the theater. But, you know, if you go back 10 years, 15 years, no one ever talks about the the Disney movies from my childhood. And that's what I'm doing uh, starting now. Every Thursday, I'm releasing an episode talking about classic movies. And, for example, today's episode is about The Love Bug. That's pretty fun. I called it uh, Steve, Steve McQueen Meets It's Wonderful Life, now with 50% more car. <laughs> that's awesome. I'll be excited if you ever cover The Iron Giant. Now, that would be one I'd love to hear you talk about. Uh, Okay, you're going to laugh at me. I've never actually made it all the way through. I was watching it with my brother last year, and I think family got home, and so it, it got put on pause, and I never finished it. That I You should definitely try and finish it. That's a pretty good one. I, I remember a few years ago, they were showing it again in theaters with like an extra scene, and I think the reason they did that is because they were gauging like interest in a sequel, stuff like that, because even though like it's one of those movies that I think a lot of people have fond memories of, it's... I think it's closer to cult status than it is like franchise potential. But yeah, that would be an interesting one to hear. hear you there, there's a lot of movies out there which have a lot of worth and value to them. But I almost say that they're better as a one-off film rather than going off into you know, numbers one through five and seven. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But then, you know, I've got a soft spot for the B-roll sequel film type deal. Yes. Yes. Pacific Rim. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Where it went from like kind of kind of a good movie with Guillermo del Toro just having a blast with giant creatures to just full out camp. <laughs> yeah, I mean she she that, the action montage in the middle of making everything new. Oh, yeah, just crazy. But um you know, talking about films that are good as one-offs, we, of course, are talking about the MCU here at Cinematic Doctrine as we go through this series. And there are more than just one, maybe even more than two MCU movies. I can't quite remember how many, but we are here talking about Iron Man 2. And I definitely recommend going back to hear us, Caleb and I, talk about Iron Man 1. It's a very, very interesting episode, one that I personally thoroughly enjoyed and then even really enjoyed listening to. Again, as I did my editing, here we are now with Iron Man 2, which hopefully, if you haven't listened to the other, you still have at the very least seen this movie that is over a decade old, right? I think this is a decade old, 2010 or 2011. It's 11 years old now. I know this because it was the summer of the year I turned 16 and I was taking a, a class at my local college. There was a cheap theater, you know, last run theater next to the park and ride. And I, I'm not joking. I saw Iron Man two at least eight times at that theater over the summer. <laughs> I believe it. I absolutely believe it. <laughs> you know, I, I love Iron Man. I love the, you know, the character and the world, but there's something about this film that just touches all the right bases for me in, uh, in what I love in a film. And there, there's definitely a bunch of uh, problems, but at the same time, something about this film is just so much fun. Everything about it just is so iconic. And the, you know, a lot of the problems that we had with Iron Man one in the terms of like 
how it looks and the overall blandness of a lot of positioning. There's no memorable you know scene in your head. It's it, this scene. Uh, this movie has just so many iconic visuals in it. Yeah, I was actually quite impressed <sighs> with the cinematography and the lighting with this movie as well. I I actually was thinking to myself, I think this is the best looking phase one movie that I've watched. There was a in particular, there was just this lighting towards the end of the movie when Pepper Potts is sitting in the audience as as uh, Hammer is unveiling particular a particular thing on stage. And when they cut away to show Pepper Potts sitting in the audience, there was just this really great singular, very movie like lighting on her character while everyone else was faded out and it had like this really beautiful gold look to it. And I thought to myself, like, man, like. I have been noticing really great shots. And for some reason, this one is the one that I'm remembering right now. It was just like, it just looked great. It would look so good. For me, the the one scene, the one shot that just popped out and stuck out in my head for me was that, that sequence right in the first 25 minutes of the film, I think it is, where our antagonist first shows up on screen and he walks out and the jumpsuit burns away around his body. Yes. That was awesome. He, he throws out those whips and you're just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> now things are happening. It's just a good introduction. Like it just is so intense and it, and especially during a scene that's can be, I would, I would argue is the first kind of disorienting scene in the movie. And we'll be getting into certain things that people don't like about Iron Man too, because it very much seems like me and Caleb are perhaps the the only two people on the planet who like this movie. <laughs> but it's a shame. It is a shame, but it but it's funny how like that scene, despite what might be disorienting to people, like it's still a really good introduction for who will soon be known as Whiplash. I mean, this like don't even care attitude of walking out into like a road that is currently being used for racers so this guy could just get obliterated in a second if somebody hits him yeah and he's like i'm here for one thing and one thing only and it's tony stark and i don't know it was just i loved the visuals in this movie they're just so good playing off that this is i think the the movie where we first start seeing the brilliant casting just come through in just this incredible level creating characters who are iconic and unmistakable you know we we talked about how amazing rdj was as iron man but this is where they start fleshing out those side characters to make them a whole lot more and they also start setting up the rest of the mcu i I mean mickey Rourke, he's the guy who played whiplash uh, or ivan uh, vonko wow i mean everything about him was just done so well to create this character that on the one hand you really sympathize with, but on the other hand, you're just like, he makes my skin crawl. Uh, he's, you know, he's evil and he's Russian. And, <laughs> and you're like, you know, this back and forth of the guy who's trying to avenge his father. But at the same time, he is tainted with great evil himself. And he's not, He's not on a holy justice war. He is here for revenge and blood money. And then we did to Hammer. 
<laughs> yeah, and then you have Sam Rockwell, who's just having a blast as Hammer. And this is just before he ends up going into playing. A, he plays a character in Duncan Jones's Moon, which he also just has such a good performance in. And it's just like this is when I think this is the thing about the MCU that really is perhaps their best attribute, and it's casting. They cast really great actors in roles that most productions I think would just have B grade. And I mean that not (laughs) in a negative way, but more like they're not like your Matt Damon's and they're not like your, well, your even your Gwyneth Paltrow's or Robert Downey Jr's and stuff, but they're basically casting people who are very good and well-known in certain cases. I mean, Ricky Rourke being whiplash is like crazy. And these people just bring it all in. It's just great to see. I don't know. I th- I think like the thing that I'm getting the most from phase one and we'll even see into phase two and three is the fact that the MCU doesn't spare money when it comes to just getting actors that that are just so good. <laughs> it's 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 awesome. Well, I, I think their their power is not that it's you know, the power to spend money, but rather the 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 very Stanley and in a lot of ways Tolkien uh, knowledge that the little people matter that you know the little people can make a big difference mm. and that happens both in the story and in the you know universe where throwaway characters one off characters matter in a lot of ways I mean look at Happy he's a director cameo but at the same time he adds this interaction level to connect the highfalutin superhero to the individual man that yeah he's you know tony stark the rich guy the he is iron man but at the same time you know he he works out with happy he you know has this relationship uh this friendship with happy that you know it matters to both him and to happy and you're like you know maybe i'm not iron man but you know, I could be happy. Over and over again, you see those moments where the the side character is given given enough love that maybe you know in the future something happens. Yeah, it's it's great how they really don't let people. In most cases, characters that are on the side still have interaction with your leads, introduce new things to your leads. They also can shake things up and be brought back in a way that's actually pretty big. In fact, the later Thor movies have this with a particular character that's introduced in Thor Ragnarok. Well, I mean, look at the current ones. I mean, you've got Agent Coulson. Exactly. Yeah. Agent Coulson is like the, I think the one character that in phase one is everybody would agree is a side character, but then is so memorable when it comes to phase one's experience. If you uh, disobey, I'm going to tase you and uh, then yes. uh, watch Super Nanny while you drool underneath the table. Yes. Yeah. It's so good. And he and I, and he just carries it so well. And they decide, you know what? A character that's on the side like Agent Coulson, rather than just him being normal, let's actually think about his characteristics. Oh, well, he just delivers all of his lines like he's in complete control of himself. <laughs> even if it's something funny, he won't even laugh. But you know he's laughing on the inside. <laughs> so it's he's in compl- it's great. He's in complete control of the situation. And yes, he will do his duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, goodbye. I'm uh, up in second to New Mexico. Yes, exactly. It's oh, great. 
and and that brings up the whole thing of how so many of these side characters they're not one-offs they have their own story that happens in the sideline which makes the main story in my view much more rich because it's not a it's not a, a one-track story you're like oh all these other things are happening at the same time it there's depth to this world yeah and i think that's actually best exemplified by something i didn't realize until just recently and this isn't really spoilers in any way shape or the of any way or shape of it but technically speaking like when it comes to the importance of side characters you could quite literally say that in the entire iron man trilogy each movie ends with pepper Potts saving the day <laughs> or or getting the bad guy if you're listening to this episode, you probably already have watched Iron Man 1. I'm sure you have definitely watched Iron Man 1. And the way that movie ends is basically Pepper Potts has to do something and she does it and saves the day, even though Iron Man is the title character. And then in this film, the same thing kind of happens. Like she's the one who initiates a particular thing that happens to a character who is also a villain. And then even just looking forward to Iron Man 3, again, this really isn't spoilers. It's just her particular character arc is so pivotal to the way that ends. And it's just so interesting that she's not even the title character. And yes, she is, of course, the love interest of Tony Stark. But like she's given quite a lot to do. And I would even say, especially in the in the in the form of Iron Man 2, even though this film doesn't pass a Bechdel test by any means, um, this film, when it comes to like Pepper Potts, she is a very important female role and character. Now, the same cannot be said about Scarlett Johansson, who basically is just treated like a sex icon in this movie, which is a real shame. But it's very nice to know that not even spoilers, by the time they get to the Avengers, they have figured out what she's supposed to be. And it's not just some walking sex icon which thank goodness for that well I, you know I, i'm a little bit conflicted because on the one hand i i hate the characterization of uh, like I said the sex icons uh, side but at the same uh, at the same time i don't think anyone at that point expected you know, natasha romanoff to become the black widow yeah, because nobody was looking ahead to, you know, Infinity War or what have you. It was still very early days in, can we make a world where everything's a little bit bigger? And I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. I think her, her uniform in this film is possibly less scandalous than her future uniform. Her future leather and uh, sinuous cat suit is possibly even more disturbing than the uh, cleavage and curls display that we have in this film yeah i can't i actually so I, I just watched the avengers two days ago and yes her leather outfit in that is perhaps just a little too i'll say this the camera doesn't pan across her like as if to say look she's in leather i somewhat agree however it is always strange that like i mean i even think of uh have you ever played the batman arkham games the arkham trilogy yeah 
you remember how Catwoman is designed in Arkham Asylum and it's like she has this full outfit, but then she still has the zipper down super low. And you're like, you do realize that it's snowing outside. <laughs> do, do you maybe want to zip that up? <laughs> it's just it. I do think like, though, like you're saying, I think in Iron Man 2, if we're gauging respect towards a particular person's outfit, her zipper is all the way up, but they still keep making jokes about there's two particular jokes that were like, I, I cannot believe that they're making this joke, which again, we, we talked about this at length that Iron Man one has a bit of this tonal issue, but Iron Man two also has like, when her character is introduced, Tony is researching her and finds lingerie imagery of her. And you're like, please do not zoom in. And then of course, Tony Stark zooms in and you're like, by gosh, golly, Tony, please stop doing that. I did appreciate how Pepper's just like smacked down. No, bad Tony. Yes, I'm, I'm glad she's just not taking Tony for what he's trying to do. Once again, uh, Tony is a uh, playboy persona. Yes. At, at times. And once again, it's shown to be bad. I, I'm glad that in this one, they show that it's to be bad more than the first one. Yeah, it's more explicitly shown out in this one, which is definitely an appreciation. We haven't even addressed the the party in the room. I thought that was better handled, though. So there's a particular assuming we're thinking the same thing. There's a particular scene in the movie where, you know, Tony Stark is as you've heard about in the beginning he's really struggling with a lot of these changes like he has this thing that you know is in his chest trying to keep him alive keep the shrapnel from the explosion from getting into his heart but while it's keeping the shrapnel from killing him the device itself is poisoning him and so he's kind of living this aspect of like i'm here to save the world and i'm so important but also i'm dying and the thing that i'm doing to keep the world safe is killing me and so there's a scene later on where he just sort of parties and does whatever he wants and he's very wasted and there's a lot of women thankfully wearing largely appropriate clothing but still kind of party clothes i gotta say though i thought this was one of the best scenes i'd seen probably in phase one just because thinking about it narratively i thought it was just a really it's a dark place for a person to be and it's a dark thing to watch on screen but the anxiety that i experienced watching it was effective I mean, the fact that the, the one thing that I seem to have neglected to mention is that he's wasted in his Iron Man suit, which means he could yes. blow things up at any minute. <laughs> <laughs> and that is like really like that was a really creative scene to just make me so scared for everybody in that room. Yeah, I, I just say. There, there's there's issues, as always, with a Hollywood production, but from a narrative standpoint from someone outside the production this is a phenomenal film everything you know, there's all these world building moments there's this massive amount of character development where you take tony who he's still the arrogant jerk but has learned that you know there's a role and a time to be a hero and now he's going through this uh, this new phase of trying to figure out, you know, at what point do I stop being a hero? It, you know, do I be self? Am I supposed to be selfish at some point? Do I sacrifice everything? Do I sacrifice nothing? What, and he plays off into the legacy of, you know, 
do I live up to my father's legacy or do I burn his legacy? You know, other people hate my legacy. What does that make me? I there, There's so much going on here that advances so far the entire universe that they're starting to build in the MCU. Yeah, and and I think I think they balance it well. I know some other people don't, uh, and that's actually going to probably be our next talking point is the amount of people that don't like this movie, including the particular people that don't like this movie. But I, yeah, I agree. I'm kind of landing on the side that I feel like this movie handles these really complex things that are going on with Tony Stark's experience of legacy. I mean, the fact that he's also very much thinking that he's going to die very soon means like he's preparing, like when I die, what is going to be the lasting legacy of this? But then also having to struggle with the fact that like I'm not dead yet and I still kind of want to just have a good time, which unfortunately uh, he believes is getting drunk and partying, uh, you know, drink and be merry kind of thing. And again, I think like I think it's handled well. And I think that leads to one of the best fight scenes in the MCU purely because it's not just two dudes fighting like good versus evil. It's. It is a sequence that's very much what makes it tense is the two characters that are fighting. What makes it tense isn't that this person's just the bad guy. And so you're just hoping that somebody wins. What makes it tense is that these two people who are close friends, these two people that care for each other are now fighting so aggressively and so violently. You could expect one of them to kill each other within seconds. That to me is so much better to watch now knowing like, you know, just looking at the franchise to see that scene and recognize like, this is going to define the relationship at least maybe for the next hour, because I think by the end, everyone kind of just gets along, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird movie. I think that's something that I really took away with it is that ultimately Iron Man two is a weird movie. And you know, the thing about weird movies is sometimes rightfully so they just stay weird and people don't like them. But other times you just like weird. And for me, as someone who is, who has seen many movies and therefore has seen the same story just with a different coat of paint over and over something about Iron Man two, just kind of having a billion different plot lines with a billion characters and like very different sequences just to me is like, interestingly enough, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so I, it's, it's fascinating to me. Iron Man two really st sticks with me despite the million storylines because it narratively brings them all to a close or leaves them artfully positioned for a future film uh, whether that's colson being called out to uh, new mexico wink 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 <laughs> which if you know uh, your franchise history means oh wait this positions this right at the same time as thor one eh yes oh yes, yes. now you know, now i'll draw a connection there but all these different storylines get you know told and you you see the full progression like vanko you see why he's doing what he does, uh, you know, what he does with it, and then it closes his storyline. And yes, it, there's this, this bit of disconcerting what is going on in about the hour uh, 15 minute point in the film. 
but it brings it all back in and wraps it up at the end. And, you know, I, I, I am just to say this film really sets off my one major undying fury towards the MCU. Ooh, I'm curious. What is it? Death. Okay. I, I love superhero films. I love uh, you know, the comics, the comic, uh, you know, cartoons. And it's a terrible world where you create a brilliant character and then wipe him away, never to be seen again. I mean, yes, sometimes it needs to happen. Sometimes uh, a character just, he reaches the end and that's it. There needs to be no more. I, I was I would argue that you reach that point uh, at the end of the I think it's phase three with a certain happenstance. Yes, by the time phase three comes along, there are definitely characters who have died. <laughs> but especially when it comes to villains in in the comic book franchise world, it's a waste, honestly, to see a character with such potential even if it's played out beautifully on the screen for that one film to have it you know be that one film only leaves the world a little bit lacking when it happens i mean at the end of the film venko is killed yes it's unmistakable but that means that there's no more whiplash there's no more mickey rourke uh, uh, Ivan Vonko in this film or in the future films and you you see this problem over and over in the MCU where they bring in these brilliant characters and you know uh, you you grow to love them or hate them you your whole movie watching experience is intertwined into this one film and then yoink that's all folks that's all folks yeah it's, it's done I mean, they managed to fix that for a couple characters through, shall we say, arcane uh, powers and so forth. Yes. But, I mean, Iron Monger and, or Venko, to use these in particular because of the uh, phase that we're in discussing, there, there's no more of them, which means all that buildup is no more. There's no lasting arch enemy to deal with yeah and what's even interesting is comparing this to a character like hammer who is alive by the end of this movie and people have been wanting to come back but for some reason kevin feige's just decided i don't really want to in fact we know he's still alive because we we know that hammer is still still alive because of the four dvd special uh, short film. Not only that, you also have mentions of him in the Netflix series that Hammer is still making weapons in the world of the Marvel Netflix uh, cinematic universe, I guess. I mean, it's still, they're still part, they're just very extended as far as that's concerned. But yeah, Hammer's still around. Sam Rockwell says like he'd love to come back to do the character. And like, as far as Kevin Feige's concerned, it seems like, you know, Hammer is just dead. <laughs> Like, because he's just not using him for anything. And so while I agree, it is disappointing that like you might have these situations where certain villains end up dying for good. And so we don't get their what they represent ideologically. We don't get to see them anymore. 
But when I think about how Kevin Feige has this strong grip on what he wants to tell across all of them, and not just Kevin Feige, whatever the committee is basically alongside him, it's it's interesting for me to think too that like there are characters that are still alive and have been since phase one. Hammer has been alive since phase one, guys, <laughs> that he's just not back. And just just because I feel inclined to say this and this thread doesn't need to go anywhere, I honestly think he may come back in the third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. I think that would be perfect to bring back Sam Rockwell to reprise his role as Hammer. Actually, I think there's a better spot, actually. Uh, what is it? I'm curious. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. <laughs> Place your bets, guys. <laughs> Who's it going to be? <laughs> the, the reason why I say that would be a better film to bring him back, the uh, Hammer back in, is because of the uh, Marvel short film, All Hail the King. At, after the events of Iron Man 3, due to some dissension among the viewers, Marvel mm-hmm. released a short film uh, that fixed some issues and hammer was shown alive and, and still machinating ma- ma- uh, still committing machinations and trying to get his life still running his company <laughs> yes and uh trying to connect himself with a future character who i believe i uh, should be <clears throat> A critical plot point in shang chi okay that i think that could be interesting yeah well i guess we'll have to wait and see if uh movies ever exist after the current pandemic we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to figure that one out i guess so yeah we've we've mentioned i mean this is something that you were talking about like death like the characters don't come back but there's also not just narratively speaking did you know ivan die did whiplash die did mickey rourke's character die and therefore not come back we can also go back and just look at the behind the scenes information surrounding iron man 2 and begin to understand a bit more as to why mickey rourke you know hasn't come back and a lot of that again comes down to the production issues so for instance there's a lot of shield stuff in iron man 2 there's a lot of the avengers preparation that is in iron man 2 in fact a lot of this is why a lot of these choices is why john favreau chose not to return for iron man 3 mickey rourke says currently that he just doesn't want to do another quote mindless comic book movie unquote knowing that so much of his work will just land on the cutting room floor. And then even Robert Downey Jr. himself saying that Iron Man 2 was, quote, dissatisfying and disappointing, end quote, which is, again, very interesting for us to read as two people who quite enjoy this movie. And a lot of that, again, has to do with the fact that producers above John Favreau and above even Mickey Rourke, who helped contribute to certain choices behind the scenes that were going to be used for Ivan's character, were sidelined to then push in more S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, to push in more Avengers stuff, because you only have so much time in a movie and you can only expect audiences to put up with so much time in a movie before they're like, all right, it's it's too long, it's too boring, and so they have to cut some things out. And point is, there's just a lot of distaste for Iron Man 2, even from the people behind the scenes. There are people like us 
who quite like it. There are other people as audience members who really don't like Iron Man 2 for a variety of reasons, and I believe they're quite valid. Like I said, this is a weird movie. But there's also the people behind the scenes who worked on the movie. They didn't like the production, and a lot of their original work was scrapped by producers who wanted things to be simple and focused on world building, and therefore it was pretty strenuous. And this always gets me thinking about other films that people like, but ultimately were the the work of disgruntled employees, arguments, that sort of thing. And this isn't this isn't the, the only industry to have this issue. If you guys keep up on video game news and the amount of crunch time <laughs> that oh. is put on companies that make games that you love. And it's not just crunch that like people voluntarily do. It's more like they're manipulated into it that like if you care about the product, you will work 16 hours a day and you will sleep at your desk kind of manipulation. Because if you only work your eight hours and you go home, then oh, you must not care that much about it. And so the reason I compare make that comparison is because there are things we enjoy that when you think about how it was made, nobody enjoyed it. Like they might get to the other end and then the, the thing that they worked on is appreciated. And then you can almost say like, well, all that work I put into it was worth it. But I'm also reminded of reading Greg Sestero's book, The Disaster Artist. Now, if you don't recognize either of those names, Greg Sestero is one of the actors of the much, I don't know how to describe this, the much loved, so bad it's good movie called The Room, the the particular movie that still sells out midnight showings to people who want to throw spoons at their screen. Because this movie is so bad and so alien that it's actually really fun to watch. But the thing about this movie is that the production of it was miserable, traumatic, horrible, just horrible. And you can read all about it in The Disaster Artist, which is a, a great book, a page turner. And it's also just a very interesting piece about like somebody just having a vision and just not compromising, no matter the fact that like it could just turn out terrible. But in the end, even Greg Sestero himself, in the very beginning of the book, says like, knowing the experience of making that movie and coming out on the other side and seeing that people still kind of enjoy it, what does it mean to make successful art? But that's not the question I'm really interested in asking. I'm more interested about the idea that we enjoy certain products and certain things that have horrible history. And while the production story of Iron Man 2 and The Room or even Crunch Time on video games are nowhere near similar, although you would be surprised about the crunch time that it takes for CGI, uh, I think the question still stands as someone who somewhat enjoys Iron Man 2, and Caleb, you would agree as well with the enjoyment of Iron Man 2. I just begin to question my enjoyment of something that people found horrible to work on. But what do you think about that, Caleb? What do you think about the fact that you and I both kind of like this movie a whole lot, and yet everybody involved sort of hates it, and it's plagued with production issues and horrible memories? What do you think about that? I mean, honestly, I don't. At all. <laughs> all right perfect <laughs> the thing is so much of the stuff in our lives on a very on an actual daily life basis has if you look hard enough something terrible involved with it i mean okay what sort of phone do you have an iphone or or android no matter what phone you've got those chips and phones and pieces involved were created in a factory in China, basically all iPhones are created, they have to put up suicide prevention nets because of how much 
stress the people are under. Not to mention the corporate culture at Apple. And that's just your phone. We're not talking about you know anything else. And your clothing is most likely produced in a sweatshop at some point. You could even talk about diamonds. I mean, the entire market of diamonds is... Like, it's horrible to read about. Like, every diamond's basically a blood diamond, but continue. The the point I want to make is that, especially, or should I say particularly when it comes to art, I don't think that because other people were terrible, we should feel terrible about liking what was made. I, I, I don't think that just because, okay to use an extreme example, Jared Leto is an absolute horrifying individual <laughs> on, uh, on the set for Suicide Squad. <laughs> I, I think it was Suicide Squad? Yes, Suicide Squad. He, I believe, mailed like dead animals to people. He's a really, really strange guy. He, a horrific individual, I would say. And just saying aside whether or not the whole genre of anti-hero is a worthy genre for a Christian to be partaking in and glorifying in, I don't think that because one person or a production team is either terrible people or uh, maybe didn't make uh, choices that everybody liked, mean it, it doesn't, I don't think it should taint the final production, if that makes sense. If you enjoy the film, as long as you know, there's not a specific moral thing like, oh, they went and filmed a genocide for fun and then made a film out of it, that, that should make you feel terrible. But Mickey Rourke being miffed that his character got a lot of screen time cut down, I mean, that kind of, that feels kind of lame. You know, sure. And I can I can I actually really like that you went that direction, the direction that like, you know, let's look at other products we have that have bad history. We haven't done someday. I'll get that uncut gem, uh, uncut, uncut gems episode recorded or whatever. But even thinking about like things we like that are beautiful, like diamonds is like the product, the stuff that goes into the, the the very small amount of money these people are making when they're mining for diamonds, the conditions. If you're riding, even more like stateside, if you're riding on a train, do you know who had to lay those tracks? Do you know the treatment they went through when they had to build trains through mountains? Like they, there was immense racism towards Chinese people. And they were basically told to carry, and this is like pre-dynamite, so it's literally just the chemicals that if you just drop will explode. And we're told to carry these vials into the mountain and then place it and then leave. And like these people just would like have limbs blown off and then told, go do it again and stuff like that. So you're riding on a train, it's on the backs of horrible things. In fact, if you really even think about the fact that a lot of modern medicine was due to the advancements of like, post-World War II, the United States acquiring Nazi scientists who most definitely were not moral in their studies, your your ibuprofen and your stuff like that is built, which I'm not saying, quote me on the fact that ibuprofen is specifically tied to Nazi science. You know what it is, actually? Is it really? Ibuprofen? Uh, well, actually, I was trying to say there's a even more stark uh, example. Hypothermia. 
most of our protocols for how, uh, you know responding to hypothermia are based on a series of horrific experiments conducted by the mad Nazi doctor Josef Mendeli, who committed hundreds of thousands of war crimes uh, in his mad uh, experiments. Yes, yeah, and I think it's I think really the next step is thinking about like the fact that. I mean, and I thought you were going this direction with cell phones, but even the particular metals required for cell phone batteries is like you it's sourced from Africa and these people are having horrible conditions getting the materials and stuff. And then the fact that they have new phones every year and the other ones are obsolete is like horrible treatment of the work that they put into it. But I digress. I think it really heads into the direction of like how far two things, how far will man go? to excuse itself and also can man pay for even its own accidental involvement in promoting these sorts of things and i think i think there's an argument to be had that like well i'm just buying a cell phone because i need it for work and therefore i'm not really involved with it in fact you can go back to the old the new testament and you can see in paul's letters there's an argument about like you know, these people are buying meat that was sacrificed to other gods. Is it immoral to be eating these meats? And in the letter, it's like, no, it's not. But if it would cause your brother to sin, don't do it. And so it's encouraged within that congregation, please don't buy meats that are sacrificed to other, you know, other gods, even though Paul agrees, you can still do that. If I can bring this back to the film, and you're talking about, you know, should we ha you know, revel in this film that was you know, had such a tawdry history behind it, if you will? And I, I I like the point you made that you know there's a lot of terrible stuff happening, and we as humans will excuse our way out of it as much as possible. And I think the question that needs to be asked is a what level of terrible is this? That's a good question. Is this actors miffed whether uh, that, oh, my introspective uh, dialogue on the, you know, the real meaning of Vanko's revenge got cut, <laughs> or is this actual literal exploitation of people and sin? Yes. Yeah. So that's one question we need to ask. But also I, I think there, there's a measure of, balance between because honestly when it comes to things that uh sourced from exploited people honestly uh, honestly speaking at some point no matter what you're doing it's built in part upon a uh, a, a sinful act and i can't think of any bit of medicine or you know technology that at not that at some point was not tainted and we have to ask ourselves you know at what point do we stop apologizing and do we you know write off the technology entirely do we accept the technology or the medicine and say okay it was created with created by an evil guy but now it's being used for good i mean you can look at uh, pornography and say, oh, that taints the entire film industry. Or you can say, they're, they're using it for evil, we can use it for good. It, it, 
if that makes sense. Sure. And I and <laughs> this goes without clarifying, but I understand that you're saying the film industry we can use for good, not pornography. Um, yes. I just, I just can like I can see the email being like, how dare you? I can't believe you would say that. And it's like, well, first off, I didn't. But also, this is what he meant. <laughs> so I just got to say it. Just got to make it clear. Yes. <laughs> This should honestly really encourage us more to lean on Christ for two reasons. One, to to say like, God, forgive me for any of my involvement in this, because there are certain ways in which even though, yeah, you're just purchasing a product. And just as mentioned before, the idea of like this was sacrificed for foreign gods can still be not sinful to eat that meat. And therefore, if I think about it like candy, like if this if a candy was produced purely for the selfish pride of the one who made it, but it's good tasting candy and I can eat it and enjoy it. I'm not I don't I would not argue I'm sinning unless I'm trying to do it in worship of that person. It might just literally be for the sake of brief enjoyment. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I watched a 20 minute video yesterday, actually, on a French guy who makes butter and he's just you know, waxing effervescent about the butter that he makes and <laughs> and just how much joy and fulfillment he finds in this making this butter and how much it means to him it's like i don't worship for butter <laughs> oh, almost uh, not, not quite that i shouldn't laugh but at the same time <laughs> my partaking of the butter that he made is not committing a sin his his act uh, of uh finding complete fulfillment in his butter might might i say be a sin but because i enjoy the butter they made or i enjoy a, a, you know a car a cell phone this microphone or iron man 2 does not mean that i also am in sin right and then even the other thing too is that looking to christ again the the hope of course is that christ fulfills all things and this even includes technological advancements where in the new earth i mean we're not going to need medicine on the new earth all of that's going to be gone but i i remember discussing with a one of my friends who's very academic and sciencey and he said he likes to think that on the new earth we'll still be learning things so for instance um some people will b- believe that just like how Caleb, you and I are new creations, and yet we're still kind of the same body. So too, on the new earth, it'll almost be like the same earth, just new, renewed, kind of like how I am renewed. I have a new heart. Now, I'm not saying I prescribe to that uh, either. Um, I'm just saying that that's something people believe. But from that example, thinking about living in the exact same universe, just, you know, new, we still have a lot to learn about this universe and it's not sinful to look forward and see like what is what really is in the Andromeda Andromeda galaxy. And it's not a means of finding that out to what make medicine, because again, there's not going to be that sickness or death or anything, but looking forward to the fact that Christ makes all things new, we know that something like a diamond would be wholesomely collected, not used by exploiting lesser people and paying them next to nothing. And by gosh golly, they sure don't have insurance and things like that. You could be confident knowing your cell phone wasn't created in a sweatshop. You could be confident knowing your 
your shoes aren't made in a sweatshop, which a lot of them are. In fact, a lot of the things in our stores are almost entirely made overseas and in horrible conditions. And that's, of course, not even including horrible conditions here in the United States at times. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, even this movie kind of talks about the horrible treatment of other people. I mean, Ivan's entire character is built on getting revenge for the fact that his father was wrongfully kicked out of the company. Now that can be morally debated considering the way that the two, like, you know, Howard Stark and Ivan's father disagreed on something. But the point being was like Howard Stark and Ivan's dad both created arc reactor technology. And Howard was like, no, kicking you out. (laughs) You're like, oh, okay. (laughs) That wasn't moral, (laughs) but okay. Well, I mean, uh, I, I might have misheard something in the film, but I thought it was made clear that Vanko was selling secrets to the Russians. Oh, I think you're right. So, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's right. <laughs> Just saying that it's not quite that one-sided. Not as dastardly as I'm making it sound. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so good to see that it, the, the most important thing to think about when it is about Christ is that he is reconciling our relationship to God. Like I have wronged, uh, I have sinned against God and therefore I incur the wrath of God. And it is only God who can send something to fix that. And that's Christ and believing in Christ's love and death on the cross for me takes that wrath and points it to Christ on the cross. However, Christ is so much more powerful than that, (laughs) and he can do whatever he wants, and that also includes renewing all of creation, and that even includes like how these things, how we go about life getting things and doing things and stuff, because it'll depress you if you decide to just look up where did my Nikes come from. You will be so sad. (laughs) Even video game consoles. I don't know if you saw that story that broke a month or two ago about literal like Chinese genocide of a type of of a people group and it was found out that working in those factories they were building Nintendo switches and Xbox ones and D- Dell PCs and you're like holy crap mm-hmm. I have that stuff in my house <laughs> it's crazy and I was reading Hebrews this morning and I, I found comfort in it and which I thought really applied to this discussion very well in Hebrews, it talks about the cloud of witnesses, about all those before the time of Christ who believed in the hope that is that was to come and were redeemed because of that, that, tr- that trust and a belief. And it, it also uh, talks about how, you know, we, we as Christians are disciplined and conformed to Christ which we're given this example of all these Christian or all these believers who uh, did their best to believe. And, you know, I'm listening to you talking, all I can think is, man, if Christ is redeeming those who believed, he's also condemning those who did not believe. Yeah. Uh, You know, the people listed here in Hebrews were hundreds and thousands of years before Christ. And talking about how these, you know, the belief of those people is what witnesses to us. Their faith is is the faith that we should be believing in as well. Which 
gives me comfort when I look at this situation of, you know, there's all these terrible things. There's all these horrible things that God's power is over that too, that those who commit these horrible crimes or have committed horrible deeds in the past are still going to be held accountable. Yes. Our, our faith he, he, you know, here a thousand years after or 2000 years after these letters were written, our faith is being called and said, look, now look back 4,000 years. This chain of faith in your salvation is what your salvation is based on in, in a lot of ways. At the same time, there's that the, the corollary that just as he redeems the faithful, he punishes the unfaithful. He condemns the sinful. And I can trust that just as just as he sees my secret heart and I and I am redeemed now, he is also working uh, on the sinful out there. That I it's not on me to avenge the every little aspect of you know what's gone wrong in this world because I cannot fix this world. I'm not that strong, that powerful. I am I am not Iron Man. I cannot privatize world peace. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. <laughs> but I can trust in the one who he will his will be done and he will be glorified whether that's now or in the future when that the when the, the entire world is shaken and riven in two and a new world is uh, brought forth yeah and i think that's so important to like basically not look at all of these things that have histories of violence and histories of disaster I mean, even just like the fact that like we live in the United States, like we ha we look back and we see our history of, as a nation is diabolical, a, a nation that espouses that it was, you know, made for free men. And then for more than half of it had slaves and that I don't know, I think less than half. Sorry, I my. I researched for Iron Man 2, all right? I didn't research. <laughs> it's just, but the point being is we still have this history of, of horrible treatment of anyone that's basically not European. And then, actually, that's not even true. Italians were, <laughs> were hated in, as well. Well, I mean, honestly, if we just look at it uh, fairly, the entire world has a history of treating everybody horribly. Yes, let's be real here. And so the point being is like not to stare at these things and just feel dread and go, gosh, everything's so horrible. God must be dead. Like that can't be that can't be where we stop because that's a horrible place to stop. We, we cannot be paralyzed in fear. Yeah. We say that the world is ter terrible. The world is scarred and marred by sin. But there is hope. Yes. We have faith in something greater, bigger, you know, longer than what we have here. And we, we have faith that there is justice, true justice, not the, you know, temporary justice of somebody getting fired or even a prison sentence. Yeah. But eternal, perfect justice. And yeah, if we don't, if we do not rest in that and keep our eyes facing forward in the faith that the Lord will honor his side, basically, and he will, it's going to be very easy to keep looking back and say that, you know, if everything's terrible, then it's going to stay terrible now. And it's not, it just isn't. If it, if it did, then God wouldn't be who he says he is. 
then yeah, I mean, I would agree with Paul. Then we are the saddest people on this earth to believe in something so fake. But the reality is, is like we don't. And I love that you brought up that Hebrews passage because it's so encouraging to just, I mean, every time, every time I read Hebrews 11, I get amped up, man. (laughs) I'm like, dude, if they could do it, I can do it. (laughs) If they can fight the good fight and keep faith. And like they were living towards in terrible times, especially when you read about wonderfully powerful and strong women who trusted in the Lord amidst a time that just treated women horribly, horribly, far worse than they do now. And now it's still not very good. But the point being was worse then. And they could trust in the Lord and know that the Lord is offering something better and that they will be rewarded in that like that. That is true sainthood. That is true. Like, that's a warrior that, like, I want to be. That's like when Paul says, you know, follow me insofar as I'm like Christ. It's like, that is that is the point. Follow that. Like, follow that example. And that you really have to fight for. Yeah. Now, I actually was thinking also, like, what do you think about perhaps engaging in things that have bad history, but not being aware of the bad history? Do you think that's unwise? Do you think it doesn't really matter? What do you think about that? I, I once again, I think this kind of goes back into the meat sacrifice for idols. Mm. Uh, assuming that what you're engaging in is not an act, active, sinful nature, I do not think that it, it, that we can Im, it, you know imply a sin upon someone else for you know, seeing it for partaking in it. I you may say, oh. The film that was done here, it was a horrible production. Everything was terrible. The director was a brute. <laughs> but that does not transfer a sin upon someone who who did not engage in that sin. And I, it's one of those shades of meaning uh, where do, does watching a sin on the sc- on screen make you a sinner as well? I, 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 it, it, we're talking like, you know, oh, does uh, me watching someone get murdered on a on a television screen does that make me a murderer as well? It's a bit of a straw man argument, but I I don't think just because you you don't know that oh that movie had a horrible history in its production life you're you're not at fault if that makes any sense. It's, no, it's it's a it's a good dialogue to have because I think I always err on the side that it's at the very least, wise to be aware of what someone's consuming. And part of that can include history. A big thing that to think to think about is like things like recontextualization. So a movie comes out 10 years ago, but this year we find out that the entire, that's, uh, I don't know, you just find out new information that puts the perspective of that movie into a totally different lens. Sometimes I think of two things. I think one, you can lose something that would make that movie better. And then in other cases, I think it can actually make things worse. You know, I was uh, reading a news article last month and uh, Disney announced that they would not be putting a one, one of the classic Disney films up on Disney+. Plus. Can I guess it? Can I guess it? Go for it. Is it is it Song of the South? Yeah. Yeah, it's never it's never going to be on Disney Plus ever. <laughs> Uh, I, I I don't know the film myself, but I'm told that it had a bunch of uh, wrong characterizations and outright stereotypes and very racist. <laughs> and yes. the thing is, I, I I'm I'm not sure how, how I feel about the 
the whole question of whether, you know, is it wrong for us to enjoy a film that was done by a racist producer or something? Because it, in a lot of ways, it plays off this idea of cultural guilt that it's not an individual who's at fault. It's the culture for allowing it or for partaking, for partaking in it. Mm. That it's not, it's not the fault of the guy with uh, who shot up a building uh, because he was a crazy madman. It's the fault of the gun or the lack of mental health or you know the spoons uh, make me fat type deal. And at what point do we say, yes, so and so was a horrible person, but made good art, or you know had a, a brilliant mind for a film but was a racist jerk in real life and acknowledge it, but not feel like we are obligated to it, you know, it sponge every, uh, every mention of his name ever again. Yeah. I mean, especially if you start thinking about like if bad history means, and this is saying for everything. So not even things that are either contextualization or historically important to even just like recognize. Cause like I, let's, let's take this as example before I continue. I, I despise that a movie like birth of a nation exists because it's, it's, it's racist revisionist history. It's saying, and I've, I feel like I mentioned this like every six episodes of the podcast, but it's, it's a movie that basically says like the North didn't, reunite the united states the kkk did and it's a horrible violent evil 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 movie just evil but it's important to recognize its historical impact because we need to know how evil functions so that we can fight against it sometimes you know i was reading an interesting piece talking about the aftermath of world war ii how the nazi history has been it pretty much is expunged entirely from uh, germany yes and it is a massive crime to show any piece of, of paraphernalia to you know any hint of nazi doctrine and you it is you know automatic you're going to jail essentially and yet the i remember reading this uh, this article that put forth the uh, the what they had learned in their in their study that the common person did not have an understanding of what it actually meant. Interesting that in their zeal to uh, be to expunge evil and to propitiate for the evil that had been done, they had removed not just the manifestation but the knowledge of that evil. And I, you know, I look at our country now, and I worry because we we do have these horrible things in the past. Every country has them. At what uh, in in our zeal for cult, uh, a whole culture of guilt of we must atone for everything, are we going to continue this and wipe out away every trace of it, and leave nothing left to learn from? To remember and say, this is why we do not. I was on Reddit talking about uh, medical uh, heroes, heroes had, who had done things to save lives. And I raised the point of a young man by name of Kirkland, uh, who is known as the Angel of Mary's Heights. 
he was a Confederate soldier in the uh, in the American Civil War, who at the Battle of Gettysburg was uh, fighting at the Stone Wall, a horrible killing field with thousands of uh, Yankee soldiers lying wounded and dying on the field in front of him. And he could not stand to hear the cry of the uh, wounded soldiers lying there in the sun. And he begged permission to go render aid. And for uh, like a dozen times, he crossed out into this killing field between and. Uh, uh, you know, under the guns of hundreds and thousands of soldiers, you know, in the face of you know of po- a possible instant death, to offer water and aid to these soldiers, and and I I got flamed for daring bring up his name because he he's a Confederate soldier, bleep him, hmm. and and it's like you know we forget that that there there was this this man who said I will not let you know, my fellow man die alone, I'm going to bring him water. And one could argue that that even to the least of these, my my enemies, he showed love. He carried water to those who were thirsty. Yes, the uh, the uh, there was great sin that was being committed in, in the South uh, in slavery. But do we cast aside every knowledge of what's going on? First off, if you're still listening, uh, thank you for continuing to listen because I don't I don't necessarily feel like we're off track. I think this is still re- very much related to Iron Man 2. We're pretty much trying to make a case for or against basically being allowed to enjoy things that have questionable history. And that ultimately does, in fact, go towards the question of like people like me and my wife are not perfect people. You are listening to a podcast that is featuring sinners. We have done horrible things. A man had to die for me to make myself right with God. So, yeah, I'm a terrible person. And you have to sometimes think to yourself, like, is this person someone I'm going to listen to knowing that they are terrible? Like the mere fact that Caleb and I have to are are saying that we're Christians means we're both admitting to needing somebody to die for us to make us right with God. And let me tell you something. People don't just die for people who steal something or like curse somebody out. <laughs> like, uh, and those are still sins. And yes, Christ would still die for those sins. But typically we are all living with skeletons in the closet that are representative of something very deeply sick about us. My own personal experience is that I am just a very prideful angry person and my anger has exhibited in outright disrespect to people and even in the most vile of ways dis- almost like as i would describe in my worst days discarding somebody treating somebody as though they're just like they exist they are a stone on the path and i can just walk past them and not think about them that is the sickness of my heart that christ needs to die for and while Iron Man 2 obviously is not having a production history nearly as bad as something like like The Shining, like Shelley Duvall basically just like falling apart because Stanley Kubrick just treated her so poorly during the production, Iron Man 2, just like everything else, still has sinful characteristics. We're not even talking about a Weinstein film here. I mean, <laughs> if we wanted to really go in that direction, we could. 
But the point being is like when you learn about something that might be really quite gross. I mean, that's something that Caleb and I talked about with Iron Man 1. Like Iron Man 1 has some horrible depictions of women. In this film, we've talked about horrible depictions of women. And even the fact that Black Widow like really isn't even Black Widow yet. She's just sort of like a gross male sex icon that's just like treated for no other purpose than to make two jokes that are really inappropriate. And only until like the Avengers does she actually be treated. Is she actually treated like a woman, like a person, like a human being who is made in the image of God. And like, yeah, you still have to reconcile the fact that like these MCU movies that pretty much everybody sort of agrees is like appropriate to show their kids has bad production issues, bad evil things in them has bad content issues Bad content. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know. I think I think what's interesting is like I really didn't pose that question with an answer and perhaps that might not be wise. But I think what's important is to pose the question and start really engaging because in certain cases and I'll bring back the, you know, sacrifice meat again. Like it is sometimes down to conscience. Sometimes it really is down to how far do you want to engage. So for instance, like Cat and I like Knowing that plastic is basically the scourge of the earth, <laughs> in our opinion, we don't purchase single-use plastics. And when we have to, it's in a very like clinical, very focused decision to say, is there no other option? Okay, we're going to buy this single-use plastic. And that's a very different moral discussion because that not in that doesn't always directly relate to other people. I mean, it's more related to how the treatment of environmentalism, but it still stands like if single use plastic is really bad for the environment and there is literally a location out in the Pacific Ocean called like it's like the I said it in um I forget the title of it, but I mentioned it in my first reformed episode. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, just going to plug that. There is literally a location in the Pacific Ocean three times the size of Texas that is just floating plastic. And it's like, that's horrible. <laughs> I'm just trying to stick my head in. It's not like a solid lake of plastic bottles. And it's... It's like pill bottles. There's like old plastic devices and stuff. Even and... then, it's not It's not like you go there and it's a sea of plastic across the ocean. It, it's not like the reservoirs in Los Angeles that are covered in plastic uh, balls. Or even like, what is it? Like the just the Ganges River? That's like... It's, no, it's nothing like that. Yeah. But like, the point being, though, is like, there are things that ultimately come down to, where's the Lord leading you? And sometimes he might be like, for you, it's okay for you to go this direction. Because maybe the Lord is trying to get you to go direction. I don't know what that is. And maybe I'm just talking up my butt here, but no, you're making sense. Okay. Well, good. Thank you. I'm glad at least one person thinks I'm making sense. <laughs> I, That's good. I, I have a few lines when it comes to movies that I don't cross. Like for me, horror films are right out horror and occult uh, in particular. I, I feel absolutely no value coming out of it nothing especially nothing that would make me subject myself to that much turmoil i mean <laughs> uh, when we were setting up for the first iron man uh, movie i told you that i don't do it because you know i've got enough nightmares on my own yes. i don't need any uh, anyone else's nightmares in my head and it, it, it once again it's a matter of conviction that you know, I don't think that there's any value from it. So therefore, I will refuse to partake entirely. And that's a good thing because it also shows like 
there's an integrity to that. And I think that's a really good thing. In fact, one of the things that I, as I grow, I start to think more about just individual integrities that we have and respecting those. Like in that particular instance, it would probably, it would definitely be wrong of me to force you to watch a horror movie so we can talk about it because it'd just be like, that's just so mean first off, but then second off, it's me trying to overstep an, an integral characteristic of yourself. And, and this is so bad. Integrity is a big thing because integrity doesn't always, integrity is different for different people. Like my integrity about plastics and stuff is not the same for other people. And like, that's okay. I would like to encourage other people not to use as much plastic, but I'm not thinking it's sinful for you to be like, I'm having a party and I'm going to get some solo cups. That's cool. Meanwhile, I'm wearing all polyester right now. (laughs) (laughs) I am the plastic man. You may call me Michelin man. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it all comes down here to, you know, conviction. What convicts you? Do you, do you think that because, you know, one person was terrible or, a lot of people were terrible in the production of a film. Does that make the film, uh, you know, unacceptable to watch? Is it the content or the producer that is the issue? That's a, that's the thought to have. But you know, it's it's a personal conviction that it it depends on you and your Christian liberty. Not you know, on, on subjects like this, we can't find your conscience and say, no, you cannot watch this because the producer is a bad man. <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes, you know, a clock, a, a broken clock is right twice a day can sometimes like the Lord can still use. I mean, the Lord always is using terrible people to do good things. That's kind of the only person who wasn't terrible is Jesus. Literally, everybody else is terrible. And guess what? Those people were used to write scripture. My single, my single favorite uh, romance story of all time on the on film or television comes from an anime. And anime is a genre which has so much trouble with it yes. that I that I do not lightly lightly recommend. In fact, I did a twenty something minute episode on it last in uh, late April because I don't know when this is going live. In late April, I did a twenty minute <laughs> episode about this anime show, and I think at least six or seven minutes of it were talking about anime and its danger and being cautious. Yeah, and why. Because it's not a, it's not just cute cartoons. It, it is an entire production segment like Bollywood or Hollywood. Yeah, and it's even even that has uh, like that was one industry I forgot to mention when it comes to crunch and poor treatment of workers and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's almost like the belief that capitalism is good might not be true but that's another episode <laughs> communism is worse <laughs> communism's worse <laughs> oh man but oh man this was great caleb i'm so glad you're able to come back on and i'm really excited for us to talk about iron man 3 so everybody be ready to check that out because this will be a very interesting one i barely remember it all i know is people really don't like it and I know you don't like it, so I'm really excited to talk about it. I I hate Iron Man 3 with a deep and abiding passion, uh, particularly because I came uh, into it with a lot of hope coming off of Iron Man 2, and I just finished re-watching the uh, Iron Man Armored Adventures cart- uh, animated cartoon, if uh, you ever saw that. It's a teen Iron Man sh- show series, 
then I, I walked into Iron Man 3. I walked out going, uh, they've ruined everything. <laughs> well, there's your teaser, folks, because basically come back for an hour long discussion of how Caleb hates this movie and why it needs to be retconned. It's going to be great. Oh, man. Well, Caleb, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where you're at again? And and uh, yeah, you can find me uh, pretty much uh, anywhere a podcast is available. I run the uh, Polymath Roundtable uh, podcast available on Spotify, Doodle and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor.fm, all those places. Uh, or on my own website at polymathroundtable.com. I always have to remember. Uh, <laughs> still haven't drawn the, uh, the website memorized. I've had it for four months now. Uh, I talked about uh, media from a Christian perspective in like 20 to 25 minute sound bites that you can listen to on your commute or perhaps for lunch if you're not commuting. And uh, I just launched a new retro film uh, discussion series. I'd uh, love to have you and give me a review on Podchaser. Yeah, and I'll have a link down in the description for anybody to check out his website. And uh, yeah, until next time, Caleb. Yeah, until next time. It's been a blast. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine, and thanks so much to Caleb Young for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Check out his podcast, The Polymath Roundtable, and listen to Father Polymath as he looks at all kinds of media, from movies, books, and video games through a Christian lens, and really gets down to the brass tacks of what you're engaging, all in a bite-sized runtime. Now, if you've seen Iron Man 2, what did you think of it? Do you think this film demands a revisit, or is this film as bad as it was yesterday? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And, as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. You also gain access to the Sinduck Pre-Show, the upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout-out to those who support at the Arthouse Theatre tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.